Chapter 11 of In the Arctic Seas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter 11 most anxious to know the real state of the ice in the western sea upon which our hopes so entirely depend i intend starting this evening by boat as far through bellows strait as the ice will permit then land and ascend the western coast hills first september my boat party consisted of four men and the doctor who came with me for the novelty of the cruise bringing his camera to fasten upon anything picturesque we landed near halfway island and pitched our tent for the night Early next morning I commenced the rather formidable undertaking of ascending the hills, for it is not possible to pass under the cliffs, and at last I gained the summit of the loftiest, overlooking Cape Bird at a distance of three or four miles, and affording a splendid view to the westward, as well as glimpses between the hills of the blue eastern sea. Long and anxiously did I survey the western sea, ice and lands, and could not but feel that in all probability we should not be permitted to pass beyond our present position. To the northward, Four River Point, Sir James Ross's farthest in 1849, was at once recognised. Rather more than nine years ago I stood upon it with him, and gazed almost as anxiously in this direction. My present view confirmed the impression then received of a wide channel leading southward. The outline of the western land is very distant. It is of considerable but uniform elevation, and slopes gradually down to the strait, which is between 30 and 40 miles wide. This western land appears to be limestone, and without off-lying islands. Our side of the strait or sea, on the contrary, is primary rock, and fringed with islets and rocks. Its southern extreme bears south-south-west, and is probably thirty miles distant. Now for the ice. Although broken up, it lies against this shore in immense fields. There is but little water or room for ice movement. Along the west shore I can distinguish long, faint streaks of water. There is no appearance of disruption about Four River Point, or in the contracted part of Peel Strait. We have nothing to hope for in that quarter. Neither is there any evidence of current or pressure. The ice appears much decayed, but as I am surveying it from a height of about 1,600 feet, I may be deceived. The strong contrast between the eastern and western seas and lands is very unfavourable to the latter. Apart from the ice, I was fortunate, however, in discovering a long, narrow lake, occupying a valley which lies between a small inlet near Cape Bird and Hazard Inlet, in fact a sort of echo of Bellow Strait, and I look upon it as our sledge route for the autumn, since it appears probable we shall winter in our present position. This is a wondrous rough country to scramble over. One never ceases to wonder how such huge blocks of rock can have got into such strange positions. I noticed two masses in particular, each of them perched upon three small stones. The rock is nice, there is also much granite. Even upon the hilltops, pieces of limestone are occasionally met with. My walk occupied eleven hours, and although everywhere I saw traces of animals, the only living thing seen was a grey falcon. During my absence from the tent, the men rambled all over the hills, but saw no game. Our encampment was therefore shifted to a better position near the eastern termination of the tableland. This morning we explored the neighbouring valleys, saw three deer, and shot one, before returning on board the fox in time for dinner. Many deer had been seen not far from the ship, and Hobson had shot a bearded seal. I have organised another boat party. Young will start with it tomorrow morning to seek a sledge route from the southern angle of Brentford Bay to the western sea. Fifth. 
Young returned this morning. He reports the southwest angle of the bay not to run in so far as we expected, and to be environed by very high land, impracticable for sledges. Our Eskimo, Samuel, shot a fawn today. Strong northerly winds have latterly prevailed. Bellow Strait is quite clear of ice. Tomorrow morning, therefore, we shall make our fifth attempt to get the fox through. Sixth. Steamed through the clear waters of Bellow Strait this morning, and made fast to the ice across its western outlet at a distance of two miles from the shore, and close to a small islet which we have already dubbed Pemmican Rock, having landed upon it a large supply of that substantial traveller's fare, with other provisions for our future sledging parties. This ice is in large, stout fields, of more than one winter's growth, apparently immovable in consequence of the numerous islets and rocks which rise through and hold it fast. If the weather permits, we shall remain here for a few days, and watch the effect of winds and tides upon it. That the ship will get any further seems improbable. 10th. I have explored a small inlet near Cape Bird, which we have named False Strait, from its striking resemblance to the true one, and find it is only separated from the Long Lake by half a mile of low land. The lake we have ascertained to be about twelve miles long, and from it valleys extend eastward and southward, so that we are sure of a good sledge route, an important matter as the hills rise to 1,600 feet above the sea. Cape Bird is 500 feet high. From its summit we carefully observe the ice. This granite coast presents a jagged appearance. It is deeply indented and studded with islets. The ice in the Western Sea, or Peel Strait, is much more broken up than it was upon the 31st Ultimo. There is no longer any fixed ice except within the grasp of the islets. Birds and animals have become very scarce. Three seals have been shot and a bear seen. Tomorrow we shall return to our harbour and endeavour to procure a few more reindeer before they migrate southward. Twelfth. Yesterday we anchored within the entrance of our creek, being a more convenient position than up at its head. We are already in our wintering position, and, being without occupation, one day seems remarkably like another. Although the fondly cherished hope of pushing farther in our ship can no longer be entertained, yet as long as the season continues navigable, it is our duty to be in readiness to avail ourselves of any opportunity, however improbable, of being able to do so. Once firmly frozen in, our autumn travelling will commence and afford welcome occupation. Almost all on board have guns, ammunition is supplied, and a sailor with a musket is a very contented and zealous sportsman, if not always a successful one. It is a powerful incentive to exercise. Today the ramblers saw only two hares, an ermine, and an owl. Some peregrine falcons have lately been shot. Peterson declares they are the best beef in the country, and the young birds tender and white as chicken. A few days ago a large cask of biscuit was opened, and a living mouse discovered therein. It was small, but mature in years. The cask, a strong watertight one, was packed on shore at Aberdeen in June 1857, and remained ever afterwards unopened. There was no hole by which the mouse could have got in or out. Besides, it is the only one ever seen on board. Ship's biscuit is certainly dry feeding, but who dares assert, after the experience of our mouse, that it is not wonderfully nutritious? Fifteenth. Two nights ago a comet was observed just beneath the constellation of the Great Bear. A series of measurements were commenced for determining its path. Yesterday I walked through the most promising valleys for eight hours, but did not see a living creature. Yet there is a very fair show of vegetation, much more than at Melville Island, where the game is abundant. To the east there is not a speck of ice, excepting only a huge iceberg, probably the same we saw off Fury Point, 
a very unusual visitor from Baffin's Bay, whence it must have been driven by those long-continued east winds of painful memory in June and July. Hobson and two men encamped out for three days in order to scour the country. They have only seen one hare and one lemming. Walker geologizes. Amongst other things he finds much iron pyrites. The dredge has been used, but with very little success. The thermometer ranges between 20 degrees and 30 degrees. Fresh water pools are frozen over. Sea ice forms in every sheltered angle of the creeks. There is no snow upon the land, and this is one cause of the difficulty of finding game. I have determined upon naming this beautiful little anchorage Port Kennedy, after my predecessor, the discoverer of Bellow Strait, of which it is decidedly the port. This is not a compliment to him, but an agreeable duty to me, and nowhere could Mr. Kennedy's name be more appropriately affixed than in close proximity with his interesting discovery. And now having made this acknowledgment, I may venture to confer our little vessel's name upon the islets which protect its entrance. The island upon which Mr. Kennedy and Lieutenant Bellow encamped was Long Island, about three miles further to the southeast. 17th. Of late we have been preparing provisions and equipments for our travelling parties. My scheme of sledge search comprehends three separate routes and parties of four men. To each party a dog sledge and driver will be attached. Hobson, Young and I will lead them. My journey will be to the Great Fish River, examining the shores of King William's Land in going and returning. Peterson will be with me. Hobson will explore the western coast of Boothia as far as the Magnetic Pole, this autumn I hope, and from Gateshead Island westward next spring. Young will trace the shore of Prince of Wales Land from Lieutenant Brown's farthest to the southwestward to Osborne's farthest if possible, and also examine between Four River Point and Cape Bird. Our probable absence will be sixty or seventy days, commencing from about the 20th of March. In this way I trust we shall complete the Franklin search and the geographical discovery of Arctic America, both left unfinished by the former expeditions, and in doing so we can hardly fail to obtain some trace, some relic, or, it may be, important records of those whose mysterious fate it is the great object of our labours to discover. But previous to setting forth upon these important journeys, I must communicate with the Boothians, if possible, either upon the west or east coast in November or February. Sir John Ross's narrative informs us that they sometimes winter as far north upon the east coast as the Agnew River, and we know that upon the west, at the Magnetic Pole, their abandoned snow huts were occupied in June by Sir James Ross. 19th. Yesterday we steamed once more through Bellow Strait, and took up our former position at the ice edge, off its western entrance. The ice, hemmed in by islets, has not moved. From the summit of Cape Bird I had a very extensive view this morning. There is now much water in the offing, only separated from us by the belt of islet-girt ice scarcely four miles in width. My conviction is that a strong east wind would remove this remaining barrier. It is not yet too late. The water runs parallel to this coast and is four or five miles broad. Beyond it there is ice, but it appears to be all broken up. Yesterday, Young went upon a dog sledge to the nearest southwestern island, distant seven or eight miles. He reports the intervening ice cracked and weak in some places, but practicable for loaded sledges. The far side of the island is washed by a clear sea, and a bear which he shot plunged into it, and drifting away, was lost. Young is in favour of carrying out the depot's provisions to or beyond this island by boat, but as the temperature fell to 18 degrees last night, and new ice forms wherever it is calm, I prefer the safer, although more laborious, mode of sledging. 
Accordingly, to-day our dogs carried out two sledge-loads of the provisions intended for the use of our parties hereafter. 22nd. All the provisions have now been carried out to the nearest island, which I shall temporarily name Separation, as there our spring parties will divide, and a portion intended for Hobson's party and my own has been carried on to the next island, seven or eight miles further. Our travelling boat and small reserve depot have been placed upon Pemmican Rock, so already something has been done. Animal life is very scarce. A few seals, an occasional gull, and three brown falcons are the only creatures we have seen for several days past. Last evening at eight o'clock a very vivid flash of lightning was observed. Its appearance in these latitudes is very rare. Once only have I seen it before, in September 1850. 25th, Saturday night. Furious gales from north and south-west, but our barrier of coast ice remains undiminished. This morning Hobson set off upon a journey of fourteen or fifteen days' duration, with seven men and fourteen dogs. He is to advance the depots along shore to the south, and if successful will reach latitude seventy-one degrees. The temperature is mild, plus seventeen, but it is snowy and disagreeable weather. There is already enough snow upon the old ice to make walking laborious, and the land has also assumed its wintry complexion. 28th. The ship was kept available for prosecuting her voyage up to the latest hour. It was only yesterday that we left the western ice, and in consequence of the vast accumulation of young ice in Bellows Strait, we had considerable difficulty in reaching the entrance of Port Kennedy. All within was so firmly frozen over that after three hours steaming and working we only penetrated one hundred yards. However, we are in an excellent position, although our wintering place will be farther out by a quarter of a mile than I intended. Today we are unbending sails and laying up the engines. Uncertainty no longer exists. Here we are compelled to remain, and if we had not been as successful in our voyaging as a month ago we had good reason to expect, we may still hope that fortune will smile upon our more humble yet more arduous pedestrian explorations. Hope on, hope ever. In the meantime, the sudden transition from mental and physical wear and tear to the security and quiet of winter quarters is an immense relief. 2nd October Mr. Peterson has shot two very fine bucks. One is a magnificent fellow, weighing 354 pounds, minus the paunch. Several deer have been seen. They come from the north along the slopes of the eastern hills. An ermine came on board a few nights ago and kept the dogs in a violent state of excitement, being much too wary to come out from under the boat to be caught by them. At length one of the men secured it. This beautiful little animal does not appear to be full-grown. Its extreme length is 13 inches. Two others came off to the ship, and to our great amusement eluded the men who gave chase by darting into the soft snow, which is now a foot deep, and reappearing several yards off. The weather is too mild to satisfy us. We wish for severe frost to seal us up securely, and make the ice strong enough to bear the sledge-loads of provisions, etc., which are to be landed for the purpose of making more room in the ship. 6th. A herd of a dozen reindeer crossed the harbour to-day. Last night Hobson and his companions returned all well. They were stopped by the sea washing against the cliffs in latitude 71.5 degrees, and to that point they have advanced the depots. Although the weather has been stormy here, they have been able to travel every day. They found the coast still fringed with islets and deeply indented. Upon every point, moss-grown circles of stones indicated the abodes of Eskimo in times long since gone by. One night they muzzled a dog, as she was in the habit of gnawing her harness. In this defenceless state, unable even to bark and arouse the men, her amiable sisterhood attacked her so fiercely that she died the next day. 
In honour of so important and successful a commencement of our travelling as that accomplished by Hobson, we had a feast of good venison, plum pudding, and grog. It is quite evident that no more travelling can be accomplished until the ice forms a pathway along shore. In this, as in some other respects, we anxiously await the advance of the season. The weather is mild. Bellows Strait is almost covered with ice, which drifts freely with every tide. Reindeer are seen almost daily. They too are awaiting the freezing over of the sea to continue their southern travels. Our harbour ice is weak and covered a foot deep with a sludgy compound of snow and water. 8th. Yesterday an ermine was caught in a trap. Hitherto these most active little skirmishers have successfully robbed our fox traps of their baits as fast as they could be renewed. Today Peterson shot another reindeer. It weighs 130 pounds. Many others were seen, also a wolf. Sometimes ptarmigan are met with, but hares very rarely. 12th. Fine weather generally prevails. We have landed about 100 casks, all our boats, and much lumber, so we shall have abundance of room on board. I enjoyed a long and exhilarating ramble upon snowshoes today. Without them I could not have gone over half the distance. The snow lies so deep and soft, but I only saw one reindeer. 14th. One of our magnetic observatories has been built. It stands upon the ice, 210 yards south, magnetic, from the ship, and is built of ice sawed into blocks, there not being any suitable snow. It is just large enough to hold the declinometer for hourly observations, to be noted throughout the winter. The housings have been put over the ship already, as Hobson will leave us again in a few days to advance his depot and my own to the vicinity of the magnetic pole if possible. I would also send Young upon a similar duty, but the Western Sea cannot have frozen over yet. 19th. All the 17th a northwest gale blew with fearful violence. Yesterday it abated, but not sufficiently to allow our party to start. This morning Hobson got away with his nine men and ten dogs. His absence may be from eighteen to twenty days. Autumn travelling is most disagreeable. There is so much wind and snow, the latter being soft, deep, and often wet. The sun is almost always obscured by mist, and is powerless for warmth or drying purposes, and the temperature is very variable. Moreover, there are now only eight hours of misty daylight. Today the morning was fine, and temperature plus eight degrees. Having completed the preliminary observations of the times of horizontal and vertical vibrations, also of the magnetic intensity, I set up today the declinometer, and commenced the hourly series of observations on the diurnal variation. I trust it may continue unbroken until we all set out upon our spring travels in March. A hare has been shot, but no other animals seen. 29th. It generally blows a gale of wind here. The only advantage in return for so much discomfort is that the snow is the more quickly packed hard. As we have only three working men and an Eskimo left on board for ship's duties, I was assisted a few days ago by the doctor, the engineer and the interpreter in building another observatory, intended for certain monthly magnetic observations. This edifice is constructed of snow. Whenever we have a calm night we can hear the crushing sound of the drift ice in Bellow Strait, which continues open to within 500 yards of the Fox Islands, and emits dark chilling clouds of hateful, pestilent, abominable mist. The last two days have been very fine and calm. The men visited their fox and ermine traps, which are secreted amongst the rocks in a most mysterious manner. One ermine only has been taken. Seven or eight reindeer and some ptarmigan were seen. Two of the latter and a hare were shot. We have commenced brewing sugar beer. 2nd November. Very dull times. No amount of ingenuity could make a diary worth the paper it is written on. 
an occasional raven flies past a couple more ptarmigan have been shot another northwest gale is blowing with temperature down to minus twelve degrees sixth saturday night the northwest gale blew without intermission for seventy hours the temperature being about minus fifteen degrees we hoped that our absent shipmates might be housed safely in snow huts this afternoon all doubts respecting them were dispelled by their arrival in good health but they evidently have suffered from cold and exposure during their absence of nineteen days for the first six days they journeyed outward successfully on that night they encamped upon the ice it was at spring tide a northeast gale sprang up and blowing off shore detached the ice and drifted them off the sea froze over on the secession of the gale and two days afterwards they fortunately regained the land near the position from which they were blown off they have indeed experienced much unusual danger and suffering from cold as soon as they discovered that the ice was drifting off shore with them they packed their sledges harnessed their dogs and passed the night in anxious watching for some chance to escape when the ice got a little distance off shore it broke up under the influence of the wind and sea until the piece they were on was scarce twenty yards in diameter this drifted across the mouth of a wide inlet until brought up against the opposite shore the gale was quickly followed by an intense frost which in a single night formed ice sufficiently strong to bear them in safety to the land although it bent fearfully beneath their weight the depots were eventually established in latitude seventy one degrees beyond this lieutenant hobson did not attempt to advance not only because their remaining provisions would not have warranted a longer absence but because the open sea was seen to beat against the next headland they have lived in tents only and have not experienced the heavy gales so frequent here and which are probably due mainly to our position in bellow strait which performs the part of a funnel for both winds and tides between the two seas that the western sea should still remain open argues a vast space southward for the escape of the ice and prevents our western party from carrying across their depot the attempt to do so would be extremely hazardous we must only be stirring earlier in the spring i am truly thankful for the safe return of our travellers all this toil and exposure of ten persons and ten dogs has only advanced the depots thirty miles further i e from sixty to ninety miles distant from the ship hardly a particle of snow remains upon the harbour ice the recent gales having swept it away and the porch of my snow hut has been fretted away to a mere cobweb by the attrition of the snowdrift the doctor and i rebuilt it to-day three reindeer and a wolf have been seen end of chapter eleven